now I don't watch a lot of free-to-air television anymore, and whenever I do, I remember why I don't watch a lot of free-to-air television anymore. Uh, if you do, you know, most of the popular TV shows these days, the ones that get the primetime slots, are all reality shows, aren't they? Um, so a reality show, and I do put quotes around that, it's a show where people apparently aren't acting, uh, they're being themselves and they're just responding to situations uh, that they put in while we watch. So you might be in a cooking competition, you might be trying to survive on a tropical island, that's real experience for most of us, uh, you might be trying to see who's the best singer or the best dancer or renovating a house together, looking for someone to get married to in the next couple of weeks. Um, but on the show, these are, not, these are supposed to be real people doing these things, they're not actors. And we love these shows, and they're very popular, partly because they're cheap to make. Um, it's true. So reality and authenticity, though, it is a big value in our culture at the moment, something that we value a lot, I think. But because, unfortunately, I think so much of our lives, as we know, are artificial and not real, or not as real as we think they should be. But unfortunately, we do know that reality TV shows, in case you're not aware, are not as real as they're made out to be. There's quite a lot of work that makes it look that way. So I hate to burst the bubble, but yeah. We like reality. So I want, to think us about, I want us to think about reality today because reality does have a place in the Christian faith. And you heard in that video Bono's desire or call for us uh, to get real or to express realism as Christians. And that feeling is something that's in line with what I've heard expressed from many people in St Mark's in my time here, you know, and something that people call for a lot within the church as a whole. So we want followers of Jesus to be authentic uh, to get real, not to live on the surface, but to be known for who we really are. And I agree with that. I think that's a desirable thing for Christian people to do. But what does it mean for Christians to be real in our faith? Because being real is more than just what we see on reality TV or things like that. It's not just about sharing information about yourself or being seen. Um, we know, for those of us who are on social media, that often people who share a lot, it's actually part of being unreal. Um, not really showing what's happening, but just what we want others to see. So I think, though, being real as a Christian involves uh, avoiding and fighting against the temptation to live a divided life with God. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute. I think to be divided in our life is to live a life where we split ourselves into different parts and we say some of those things are to do with God and some of them aren't. Okay? So many of us have been taught or taken on the belief, which is sometimes stated or sometimes not, that there are parts of ourselves and parts of our lives that are spiritual parts, the Christian parts, the good bits that God is part of, and there are other parts of us that are bad, that are unspiritual, that are not what Christians should be having. Um, and that, this, this is an issue I think has a long history within the church. For instance, you've seen, you see it a lot over history with the idea that uh, spiritual things are good and the body is bad and we should shun the body and what, it, and what it brings to us. And another division that we might have, and this is what Bono was having in mind, is putting a, a split in our lives between the positive side of ourselves and the negative side. So to think and act as if only the positive side and our positive feelings are actually the Christian part of us. So we might feel that when we come to church to worship, perhaps, that it's all that it is, it is acceptable to show other people and God are the good and the presentable feelings that we have. Have to be joyful, must be happy, must be upbeat. Um, and we also have to appear to have things together, to be doing well and to be behaving well in order to come. Um, and this other side of ourselves, the negative side, we might feel I have to pretend that it's not there or to put it aside or beneath the surface of my life where it can't be seen. 
Or some people feel, for instance, that if we're angry or upset, it is somehow wrong to say those things to God, that if I say to God I'm angry with you, he will become angry with me back and I'm not a good Christian. One of the things I've been trying to acknowledge at St Mark's in the past couple of years is the destructive effect of actually of this divided way of living for Christian people. Um, These things are the opposite of being real. Uh, We believe that Jesus is actually calling us to follow him with our whole lives and that he knows and accepts us as whole people, you know, every side of ourselves, both negative and positive. So to try to keep him out of these parts of our lives that are darker or sad or which we're ashamed of is actually to keep him out of the things that he really wants to be part of and to transform in our lives. And also we might see that to deny the negative feelings that we have or to split them off is to be less than human. And this is something you see the Psalms confronting. Um, And when we do that, we sometimes then become unreal people, unhealthy, unloving as well. So I think Bono is right. We need to get real. But that's a scary thing to do, isn't it? It's really hard to get real. Like many of you, I really prefer not to share a lot about what's going on inside me with people. It's because it's really hard. Um, So I think we need to learn what does it look like in a healthy way to be open, to be real. And so the Psalms are a great part of the Bible that reminds us, how do you get real and what does that look like? How do we do that? So as we read the Psalms, I think we find an invitation to go on a journey of our whole selves and our whole lives with God. A journey which is about integrity. So where you, where, where what we are on the outside is the same as what we are on the inside. The way we present ourselves to be is the same as we actually are. And what Jesus, Jesus is invited in that journey then into the parts of us that are unpleasant. The parts of us that are weak and the parts where we're failing, where we're sad, anxious or just stupid. Uh, And I think the Psalms invite us not just to bright, glorious and joyful times of praise, and they do that, and we'll see some of those Psalms in our series this term, but also to face just the pain and the struggle of life in the light of our trust in God. And so I think there's an invitation here as we read Psalm 40 that God is asking us to call out to him honestly from the midst of the mud and the mire of life. So I want to think about the mud and the mire for a bit. That's a great phrase from Psalm 40. So what is the mud and the mire of life. Well, I want to be blunt. I think this is what happens, this is what, it, what it's like when life sucks. Can I say sucks here? Is that okay? Thank you. Sometimes life sucks. Okay? That's recorded. That can go on the internet. That's okay. <laughs> um, for instance, if you're stuck in a job that you hate, that sucks. That's the mud and the mire. If you're living in a difficult and painful time in your marriage, that sucks. That's the mud and the mire. So if you're sick, grieving, you're in emotional pain, in the midst of loss and change, that's the mud and the mire this psalm is talking about. When we fail in major things we want to do, if we're caught in an addiction, in persistent sin, when there are parts of us that we believe that no one will ever understand or accept, if we're ashamed of what we've done or what we're doing, we are stuck in the mud and the mire. And if we're being persecuted by enemies, as the psalmist, I think, was, we are in the mud and the mire too, and that sucks. And so let's get real. I'm pretty sure that at any given time, over about half the people here who arrive at worship on Sunday are at some level wading through the mud and the mire of life. Maybe more than half. That's real. Um, It doesn't matter how we look or what we say to each other over morning tea. This is where we really are. Um, and so, so to get real is just to acknowledge as a group that this is actually where we are, this is what's happening, this is what life is. 
Um, not necessarily to talk about it all the time or to overshare with strangers about it, but, or to make it the only thing in our life that defines us, that's not the point. But to acknowledge that this exists, this is real, and to be in the mud doesn't mean that you're not a Christian or that you're a bad Christian. There's no such thing as a bad Christian or a good Christian. That doesn't make any sense, that, that term. Because we can't divide ourselves, as the Bible teaches us, into oh, this is the good part of me, my bad part, my spiritual, unspiritual, my sinner part and my saved part, acceptable part, unacceptable part. That doesn't, it's not real. Um, the mud and the mire of life is just where we are. Oftentimes it's one of the basic elements of human existence and it's unavoidable. And in fact, I think the Bible teaches us it's not even desirable to try to avoid this because the only way to avoid it is to deny it. And to deny that, is we see, as we see in the Bible, I think is to deny that we need God at all, to deny that this is real. And Jesus had a powerful word to describe the religious leaders who he fought with in his own day. Then these are the people he called hypocrites. So we read in Matthew 23, verse 25 to 26, he said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the law and religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean. So what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite isn't somebody who does the wrong thing. That's a sinner. And we know that Jesus had no problem, really, with sinners. He treated them with great kindness, great forgiveness, and great welcome. He didn't didn't have any problem with them at all. The problem he had with was hypocrites. These are people who lie to themselves and who lie to God and lie to others about their sin. With the effect that they shut out God's grace and shut all the mud and the mire of their life inside them where they can't become clean. Just the outside is clean. And so I think what the Psalms show us is that what God asks us all, as Bono said, first of all, he asks us truth. from. And on that basis, we can then experience the actual goodness, the actual love of God in our lives as they actually are, not as we want them to be. And so I think that's the underlying theme of our series, this term, Sing a New Song that in the midst of this struggle and the daily reality of life, that's where God meets us. And if we're real and true with him, that's where we learn what it means to experience grace and this newness of life together. So if you're here in the middle of the mud and the mire today, you know, you're in very good company. We could probably all lift up our shoes and see the muddiness underneath. There's quite a bit of that. And that's okay because that's what it's here. That's, that's real. So let's look at what Psalm 40 says about this. So Psalm, this, Psalm, this is a psalm written by someone who's actually in a very interesting position in their life. Um, obviously, at some point, as we read, he had been in a really bad place a, lo- a while ago. Uh, you know, in the midst, but in the midst of that, he experienced God's power and God's love towards him. Um, he was in the mud and the mire, you know, he says, but God lifted me up. He lifted me out and he gave him a new place to stand. He was rescued. Okay. God actually saved him. And out of that experience we read in in the middle part of the psalm flowed this absolutely passionate desire to praise God and to tell other people to worship him too, to obey him and to follow the law. And at that time everything was well for him. He was doing great for a while. But as he's writing this, you can see now things are starting to get different again. And again he can feel himself being pulled down into the mud. From verses 11 to 12, he says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. 
For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. So he's falling back down into the mud. But as he does, there's a different experience in this particular sorry, point in his life from what he might have felt earlier. Because he knows now from experience that God is his saviour and that he has helped him before. And so in the midst of this struggle, he doesn't despair, but he just pours it all out to God and gets real with him. Trusting that he can do that, it's going to make a difference and that God is his rescuer. He does, and he doesn't in that shrink back from saying some things that people might actually judge him for saying. You notice if we read it that this man openly wants his enemies to be destroyed to be beaten, to be disgraced, and for terrible things to happen to him. He's quite happy to say that. Now, that's not really a nice Christian way to talk, is it? No. To actually want your enemies to be beaten, but, you know, it's real. It's how he feels. And he knows God's going to sort it out, but this experience and this hope needs to come out of him. It needs to not to be hidden away somewhere and pretend that it doesn't real he does want his enemies to be beaten but he but what he really wants is for God to come and save him and so this experience of being real with God can get him to the point where he just says as clearly and plainly and openly as he can what his situation is before God so we see in the final verse of this psalm verse 17 but as for me I am poor and needy may the Lord think of me you are my help and my deliverer you are my God do not delay. It doesn't get simpler than that. It doesn't get realer than that. I am poor and needy. And any one of us can at various times say the same, and maybe today you need to say that. I am poor and needy. And it's hard to say that, though, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a vulnerable position. It's hard to say that to each other because we might feel that we don't trust each other with this weakness and this position. And that's one reason, perhaps, why we do tempt, get tempted to divide ourselves off in the first place because... It's not always safe to say it. So I would encourage us all to think about what does it mean for us to be safe people to share these things with? What does it mean for that? It can be hard. But what this, the psalmist knows whatever happens, we can always acknowledge to God truthfully that we are poor and needy before him. He is a safe person to share with. And so this is a healthy thing for the writer of the psalm to know because it brings all his life together before God in truth. He does, and he hasn't lost his faith in the middle of this experience. He does. He loves God. He trusts him. He wants to praise him. He wants people, other people to praise him. But things are also pretty bad, and he is not in a good place, and he wants to say it. And that's integrity, and that's truth. This is an example for us about what that means. But that's not where it ends for him, I think, um, being honest before God, because what does God do about it? So I want to think finally about the beautiful phrase that we find in verse 3 of the psalm. He speaks about God after he raised him up from the mud. He says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And I think this is actually the key to this psalm and its meaning for us. Because as much as this psalm is generally about what we would call emotional health or authenticity and reality before God and the benefits of that, it's about all of those things in light of what God has done for us and what he is doing in us. So all those things, truth in light of what God has done for us. 
So for this man, experiencing God's love has changed how he sees that the experiences that he has. And it's put in his mouth, in his heart, I would say, a new song of praise to God. He knows how to share things differently now that God has been shown his grace to him. because It's changed who he is and what comes out of him in any circumstance. And I believe this is kind of the point of Jesus' hard words to the hypocrites that he was criticising. Because Jesus actually wanted to come to his people and give them a new song from God, something to praise him for. But these people shut him out. And Jesus wanted to say, God, what God was really wanting for them was not this good exterior, respectability, all the things the Pharisees had, not empty good behaviour, but a transformed, grace-filled heart within them that knew how to praise God because of what he'd done. And Jesus acknowledges that his followers are not going to be perfect people. They may actually be worse sinners than the other people around them. But from the inside out, they're going to be changed and he puts a new song into their heart. So God has a new song for us, I think, is what is being said. And what is this new song? Well, there's many ways of thinking about that. You may think of all the wonderful things that God has done and, and praise him for those and the things we sing in church and all those things. But I think in the deepest sense, we can think of this new song as an expression of what it means to have the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, uh, inside us. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This is a new song, Father. First time that anyone had ever heard that you could talk to God that way. And it comes out of this new thing that the Spirit has put in our hearts. So I believe that the new song that Christians have in our lives is the Spirit of God himself and his voice. Calling out inside us, Father, Abba. And prompting us to know that God is our Father in all circumstances. And we can call out to him in that. Because we know that he's with us. Jesus came down into the slimy pit into the mud and the mire, and he went down further into it than any of us have ever gone because none of us have yet died, and he has. But he came up out of it again. And as he comes up, he drags people with him out of the mud and gives them a new place to stand, to see. And to know that is to have a new song, a new heart, to see things differently and to sing a different way. And so that is why he's able to praise God all the time, the psalmist, because he has this new song. He knows God's in his life. And so he's in awe when he just considers everything that God's done for him. He says, Many, Lord, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you, and were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So... Let's get real. Today all of us are in different places. Some of us are in the mud and the mire. We're a bit stuck there. Some of us are standing on a firm place. Great. Some of us are looking around and realising that we're going down. And as he says, troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. That's real. But in the middle of all those things, we need to know we can look up again and see what God has done for us. That's real too. And that's more real than the mud and the mire. It's more real. So in the midst of anything, I'd encourage us, let's listen for the new song of the Spirit in our hearts, calling out, Father, Father, Abba, with our mouths too. 
I want to finish this reflection with the words of encouragement that Paul gives to people in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. He says to these Christians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.